Welcome to All About Data on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jory Heckman. Thanks for joining me this week on All About Data, a conversation with chief data officers and the people who are making data work better in government. On today's episode, agencies swinging for the fences with high-impact use cases for AI. First, you're going to hear how the Defense Department is using artificial intelligence to help it write contracts. Then you'll hear how U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services is planning to roll out unintended bots. All of this is from a panel I moderated at ATARC's recent IT Modernization Summit. Now let's go to our first speaker from DOD's Tradewind Initiative focused on scaling up high-impact AI use cases. You're going to hear from the Tradewind Executive Lead within DOD's Chief Digital and AI Office, Bonnie Evangelista. My name is Bonnie Evangelista. I'm with the Chief Digital and AI Office. I think I'm officially the contracts nerd in the room. I'm a contracts nerd by trade. So for me, the lowest hanging fruit is contracting and acquisition. We are still abundantly using manual processes and what I call antiquated process mediums to do business. We're still filling out you know, PDFs or paper forms. We're in the midst of standing up a contracting shop at CDAO, and that's where I will be working. And everyone keeps asking me, where are your files? And I said, in my email inbox, because like that's how we're doing business. And that's one of the areas we've chosen to focus in my office and where I think there is tremendous low-hanging fruit. In my position, I'm focusing on high-value tasks. As an example, in contracting, like we're asking questions like, can an AI or can a bot write a contract? Like, is that possible? I'm not interested in automating a workflow that is not helping emerging technology get into the hands of soldiers faster. I'm more interested in can I speed up the entire process so that we can point, click, and buy. Is that even possible? Can vendors write proposals on their phones? Like those are like big, bold statements. And those are the things that like from a practitioner's perspective in contracting, those are the things we're considering. It's not just about rudimentary tasks And even from a government perspective, I think there are some of us who are trying to go big and go bold, but it can be hard from a workforce perspective because I think it's hard to scale because of culture. The whole focus of Trade Winds is like this culture shakeup, you know, around acquisition, around contracting, and in terms of big things to tackle, I can't think anything bigger than culture. How do you get people to not just go for the low-hanging fruit, but for swinging for the fences and going for that higher order stuff? The approach we've taken under Tradewind is like when you go big, like you focus on the scoreboard because that's the only way people will believe that it's possible. And sometimes, at least from a contracting and acquisition perspective, people don't know what's possible. They're just living in their lanes and understanding what's possible based on their experience and their precedence or what people tell them are possible. So if no one's pushing the envelope, so that's what we try and do. We try and push the envelope until something breaks. And then when we think and we believe in a model, whether it's this is RPA and AI and modernization. So like we're working on a prototype. It's an AI powered contract writing capability. So we have a working prototype, whether it's that or it's like changing people's mindsets about how you can use acquisition authorities to go faster or to get a better end state for your user, things like that. We're trying it all because we want to go after the high value tasks. We're not going to settle for the low value stuff. We want to We want to see if we can break the mold and break the glass ceiling from an acquisition perspective. Bonnie, to circle back to the 
AI that's at some point, the idea is that it's going to be capable of writing contracts or, or take on some of the tasks for the contracting officers of the world. The, the DoD terminology is when we talk about all things AI, it's that human in the loop, right? That, you know, there's going to be some handoff to the flesh and blood person and there's going to be some handoff to the bot or the AI. As you're building this up, how do you think of that human in the loop process? And, and at one point does the human take over and at what point does the AI? I would offer that when we're thinking about this problem, we're not necessarily trying to dictate the answer. We're identifying first and foremost pain points and challenges in the process, and then it's up to the developer to help us use the technology or adopt the technology in a way that allows it to either go faster, better, cheaper, all of the above, because it's right now it's just, we want speed to contract in my functional lane is extremely important, and I think it's gonna be a differentiator in whatever cyber wars are gonna happen in the next couple few years, and one of the things that we're focusing on is can the AI help practitioners or problem owners, use cases, mission? Because right now I'm kind of in a, in a setting where we don't really have traditionally trained acquisition people who are trying to articulate problems to us. So can we help them even articulate what the problem is? And that's where we started. And we have a, a working prototype. It's actbot.com. Anybody can sign up and, and help us. Like, if you want to join the experiment, bring your use cases to us. You know, can we develop a problem statement, go zero to problem statement in under 60 minutes with the help of this tool? Again, we didn't start with that in mind, but that's kind of where we landed after like, we really fully understood what like some of the major pain points in the process was. So even going back to cultural change, writing a problem statement is not very standard where the government is very used to writing requirements. So this is a mindset shift culturally. Like, so not a lot of people may understand, okay, I need to start with my current state, look at my future state, look at my operational gap. And so we actually used a very small data set and started, we're trying to start training the model to help us build a problem statement from nothing. Like, can somebody put a descriptive title in the tool and help it develop a pretty articulate problem statement? To your point about human in the loop, the technology helps us generate text very much so like ChatGPT, and this is very similar to that. However, the tool doesn't get to make the decision. That's where the human comes in. There is a human reviewing and validating the text at every point in the process, but the tool is going to help generate certain text to help inform your problem statement. And then that's just the beginning of the workflow, but we have the workflow going all the way from problem statement to helping to generate the what we call the call to industry. So this is like if you're doing non-FAR-based contracting, this is more the lane we chose to focus on because no contract rating system, at least in the Department of Defense, actually supports that. So can industry also respond in that workflow to the call to industry? And then can it generate the contract in the end? It sounds like where you guys are with the AI that as just kind of the nature of AI, it's pretty starved for data. Like it just needs just reams and reams of training data to get trained up and, and do what it's supposed to be doing. That's part of the conceit of the CDAO, right? That it's data and the AI all under one roof. Can you maybe unpack a little bit more of the data challenges that you're experiencing or hurdles to overcome, whether it's this use case or, or more broadly? I won't speak to more broadly because I think like Dr. Martell, who is the CDAO, has very much a, an opinion and a vision for 
data at large, like where it needs to be. I'm speaking more from an acquisition contracting lane. It didn't take a lot of data to get a working prototype in there. What you're talking about too, I don't think it's going to take a massive amount of data to nuance or train the model, but I will say that you don't expect glory overnight. No AI has an out of the box solution. Like it has to be, this is something where we're hoping if we can create, if we can prove the concept though, I don't think it takes a ton of data just to prove the concept. And if we can continue to prove the concept and then create a demand, a demand signal for this type of tool, that's where we can make it optimize the technology, I think. And I fully understand though, that the tool may not be in a place where it's completely operational within, I don't even know how many years it takes, but I do, there's a very smart person in the room who taught me that AI is like a human lifespan. So when an AI comes out of the box, it's like children and even children have to learn and grow just as much as AI also has to learn and grow. So I'm hoping that because the technology has enabled us to basically solve like really hard pain points in my functional lane, it can, we've given it a chance to be enduring. You know, I think one thing I'm taking away from this conversation is that obviously there is a wide spectrum of what automation is, right? You know, the low end of things, it's the RPA, it's the machine learning, it's code, basically. You know, it's pretty explainable on the face of it versus the, you know, the high octane, the AI, the things that can continuously learn, can continuously, you know, adapt to its environment. RPA, you know, I think a lot of the early successes with that in government was the kind of contracting space, was the kind of back end functions that seemed to be the kind of area where to go back to low hanging fruit, there was a lot of, you know, it was a target-rich environment to, to keep it in DOD terms. I don't know if anyone's aware of the short history of the CDAO, but our office was originally four different DOD offices, and my former organization was the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. One of their mission directorates was business transformation, and they focused heavily on RPA automation for business transformation functions in the Department of Defense. So, I think you're absolutely right that there's a lot of, it makes logical sense, you know, to apply that there where possible. I'm not sure from a DOD perspective, even we fully had a, an idea though on what problems we were solving when we were applying RPA. That, that's just my brief kind of experience working with that office. But I think there's a lot to be said with what you said about like there, there is a little bit of, I would say, art to how we're applying technology in the right settings with the right use cases. Even within my use case that I've been talking about, we're doing a combination of generative AI, natural language processing, and maybe a little bit of RPA, um, just like a little bit, but like we didn't come out saying we want this here and that there. It was more about understanding and identifying like I mentioned earlier the problems and the pain points so that we could understand how to apply the technology and optimize the end state we're looking for. It sounds like where you guys are with the AI that as just kind of the nature of AI, it's pretty starved for data. Like it just needs reams and reams of training data to get trained up and, and do what it's supposed to be doing. I think that's part of the conceit of the CDAO, right? That it's, you know, the data and the AI all under one roof. Can you maybe unpack a little bit more of the data challenges that you're experiencing or the hurdles to overcome, whether it's this use case or, or more broadly? I won't speak to more broadly because I think like Dr. Martell, who is the CDAO, has very much a an opinion and a, a vision for data at large, like where it needs to be. I'm speaking more from an acquisition contracting lane. 
it didn't take a lot of data to get a working prototype in there. What you're talking about too, I don't, I don't think it's going to take a massive amount of data to nuance or train the model, but I will say that we don't expect glory overnight. Like, like no AI has an out of the box solution. Like this is something where we're hoping if we can create, if we can prove the concept though, I don't think it takes a ton of data just to prove the concept. And if we can continue to prove the concept and then create a demand, a demand signal for this type of tool, that's where we can make it optimize the technology, I think. And I fully understand though, that the tool may not be in a place where it's completely operational within, I don't even know how many years it takes, but I do, there's a very smart person in the room who taught me that AI is like a human lifespan. So when an AI comes out of the box, it's like children and even children have to learn and grow just as much as AI also has to learn and grow. So we're, I'm hoping that the tool, because the technology has enabled us to, to basically solve like really hard pain points in my functional lane, it can, we've given it a chance to be enduring, I guess is my point. That was Bonnie Evangelista, the Tradewind executive within the DOD's Chief Digital and AI Office. We're going to take a short break, but when we return, we'll talk about how USCIS is planning to roll out unattended bots and more on its automation journey. I'm Jory Heckman, and you're listening to All About Data on Federal News Network. Back to All About Data. In this segment, we're going to hear from the USCIS and its plans to roll out unattended bots after automating a lot of its low-hanging fruit. Let's hear from USCIS's Program Manager for Robotic Process Automation, Michael Pascal. We deal with people and immigration data. A lot of data, um, a lot of it is also paper-based. But the cool thing about it is, is that there's a lot of opportunity to understand how some of this, you know, from a low-hanging fruit perspective, I'll say it doesn't really focus that much on the immigration system. It focuses more on our HR systems, which is available at every agency. All of these functions are, are pretty synonymous and similar. So, you know, everyone's got time cards. Everyone has to make sure that new employees are onboarded because you need a workforce in order to be productive. Automating the processes to be able to bring these people on faster and make sure that everybody has everything set up. Those are the type of opportunities that we looked for as low hanging fruit opportunities to initially jump in the pool for automation. So if you really wanna make the biggest dent with your resources, go and automate a high impact, high value workflow or process and get your resources back right you want your people to be able to focus on the hard things that only a person can do people spend so much time worrying that you know we're gonna take these jobs away or um, you know there's a barrier to entry because of security if you focus on the high-impact use cases you're gonna get buy-in and people will not want to go back what are those swing for the fence use cases over at USCIS Okay, so the latest thing that we've been doing is, like I said, we deal with a lot of paper applications, specifically people applying for asylum, which means that they need help, right? It's scary. I need to leave where I'm from 
and come here because there's a threat against my life. So there were front logs, which we call the paper applications, of, of over 30,000 applications where people were t basically transcribing them manually to computers. One of the things we did is in, in an, I don't know, maybe like four or five weeks, we built an automation where you scan in that and using simple OCR, it's lifting that data and entering, you do a manual uh, validation really quickly, and it's pushing that data to the case management system. The ability, I mean, that's a difference between taking 30 minutes to manually look at a paper application, between less than 10 minutes for a bot to go through, extract the data, submit it to a case management system, and now that person has an opportunity to come to the States and, and seek asylum. Those are the opportunities where it's changing the way that we do business. Typically, when you have a problem, you just hire more people and throw more resources, more people transcribing. It's like we don't have to do that. And not only is this process being done at multiple service centers, but we just standardize the way to do it. The easiest way to standardize a process is to automate it. Now everyone's doing it consistently. The entry level for training is basically non-existent because it's being automated. And your throughput is faster. So you start making a dent there. You know, we tried it with asylum, then what's to say we can't start doing with premium processing forms, you know, where we're starting to rake in more money, bring in more people in their applications and get them processed. And Michael, there is a lot of data. There's only more being produced every day. And to, I think, as we said earlier in the conversation, get that, that signal to noise, getting, you know, the most information out of the data, what seems to be uh, top of mind for you? So we're going to walk back to, you know, human in the loop for a second. You guys are familiar with automation with the, with the bots. You know, there are attended bots, which run off of a person's credential, so it acts as if it's that person. And then there's unattended bots, which, you know, run off of an NPE or any type of certificate to operate as its own entity and basically operate perpetually or however long you want it to, right? They don't take lunch breaks. So one of the things that we've been doing, um, I'm going to tell you guys about, you know, we can say all these good things that we're doing. I'm going to tell you some of my challenges. You get to hear my problems today. In dealing with people's data, Everyone thinks the biggest concern that we have is PII. We know how to handle PII. It's the format of the data. How do you build a model around data that's typed and handwritten, and you can imagine how many different types of handwriting there are out there. Like sometimes people are writing like they broke their hand. So to train a model with test data does not really represent the operational data that we're going to be seeing. And people speak different languages, which is like one of the biggest challenges. So I go back to operator in the loop. One of the ways that we're approaching this is building models. We're starting to build models and allow users to do manual data validation as validation for that model. And as we get more confident and mature in this approach, that's when we get the opportunity to start transitioning to unattended automations using you know, AI engines and, and models to be able to process this data 24 hours a day, that's our goal. But in order to do that, you need to have that confidence. And I think that's gained by keeping the human in the loop, by understanding the data you know, on a limited use, and then expanding eventually to, to unattended bots, you know, so that now we have full up and running models in bots, and, and we're starting to make a bigger dent into our issues. But like I said, the format of the data and having it be representative has been one of our biggest challenges. Well, just to follow up on, on what you're saying, attended bots versus unattended bots, mm -hmm. is USCIS rolling out unattended bots? And if so, where are they being used? Right now, we're using attended bots and what I'll call semi-attended bots. Attended bots typically take up your computer 
right? Like you're not able to do any other tasks while it's operating, which we found to be an issue. A lot of people are like, this is great, you got a bot, mission complete, right? No, like, like I have a job to do, I can't sit here idly while this bot is running on my computer. So what we did is we create, implemented semi-attended bots. So we use Citrix for workplace as a service. What this does is it allows us to have a second window, right? Um, like picture in picture, and you run the automation from that Citrix environment and it allows people to use their computers again. So now we're doubling your capacity right there. But we still have the problem where people only work eight hour shifts. So our goal this year is right now we're trying to understand how the credentialing is gonna work for unattended bots. But what we're trying to do is figure out how the credentialing will work so that we can have these perpetual bots running more than eight hours a day to kind of help us put a dent in. So they're coming, we're just figuring out some of these challenges. I think the benefit is, is that at DHS, a lot of our systems, a lot of our security requirements are similar enough that if one of us figures it out, then we should all be sharing that information with, with each other. We also did some Q&A with the audience. Here's Michael Pascal talking about opportunities at his agency for advancing the type of work that he's been describing. So aside from the obvious job opportunities of actually being like a developer for that, I would say the more low-key and unknown opportunity is we really, I like to say like we develop by community, like our subject matter experts, our business, our lines of business, they are heavily embedded in our development process. So as we are improving these automations and developing them, they're seeing each development stage, they're seeing how the automation has grown, so they actually become a part of our community of practice, which gives them an opportunity to not only participate and see it and validate it, we actually have them demonstrate a lot of these automations when we're doing demos to leadership. I think that actually sends a stronger message if your end user is saying, hey, you know, I, life used to be hard because I worked eight hours on this and now this is being processed in the background while I sit there and work on other more meaningful stuff. But that gives them an opportunity to get their curiosity going. And, you know, when people want to learn, I think that automation and, and AI and I think all of these skills should be something that's available for everybody. And, you know, typically a lot of these programs are born out of uh, CFO or IT shops. Um, and I think that's unfair. I think that that is a stigma that follows it. And I think that everybody should have it because, like we saw, procurement is some, somewhere that needs this type of HR is. I mean, those are in every agency. So why wouldn't we want people to be trained and understanding and knowledgeable? Because they're going to bring ideas that are going to proliferate all of this. So I think, I think it grows from within. And it's an opportunity to bring other people on to kind of help support that. That was Michael Pascal, USCIS's Program Manager for RPA. Special thanks to ATARC for letting me moderate this panel at their recent IT Modernization Summit. You can find more episodes of All About Data on federalnewsnetwork.com. I'm Jory Heckman, and thanks for listening to this episode of All About Data. Thanks for listening to All About Data on Federal News Radio part of Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your favorite podcast app. Search for All About Data on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows.